Hello, everyone, uh, and welcome to our listeners, and thank you for listening. Um, we're on another episode of The Edge today. I've got Lisa Ventura with me today. I'm very excited about this conversation we're going to have. Unfortunately, my wingman, Mr. John Spiegel, couldn't make it. Um, but anyway, we're going to talk to Lisa. And, and as always, Lisa, I think the first question I'm going to ask you is, Kind of give us a little bit of background. Like I said, I'm really excited about talking to you today, and you can probably tell, but give us a little bit of background to our listeners, like how you got to where you are today and, and what kind of journey you've taken. Absolutely. And it's an absolute pleasure to be here um, today. So I got started in cybersecurity back, uh, well, I made the transition into the industry back in 2009. Um, before that, I'd spent many years working in the entertainment industry and working with um, Chris Tarrant of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire fame. And my ex um, at, at the time was very high up as a ethical hacker penetration tester. And so there was a lot that he um, did that really, really fascinated me about you know, the world of hacking and what drives them to do what they do and, and so on. Um, there was a lot he also couldn't tell me because of the Official Secrets Act that he was um, bound by with a lot of the work that he was doing, particularly with government and the MOD. Um, but then he invented a software tool in his um, spare time that scans routers, networks and firewalls, looks at the configuration files within and produces a detailed report of any vulnerabilities that it finds. So I made that transition um, back then to um, help him develop the business and, um, and grow the business. Um, and then after a few years, when we subsequently um, separated and, and divorced after 16 years of, of marriage, I was more upset about coming away from the company than I was about the end of the marriage. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> and I knew that I wanted to stay within the uh, cybersecurity um, industry. And I did exactly that. And I then transitioned into doing a lot of cybersecurity awareness um, training um, and awareness raising work with different organizations. So I worked with um, professional year I work with Cyborn I've worked with um with Christian Toon over at Pinsent Masons um doing some some work um on a contract um over there um, back in 2019 and I've worked with a, a lot of other organizations and I then also founded the UK Cybersecurity Association which is now called um Cybersecurity Unity and the rebrand um of that was very much around I see a lot of great work being done in the industry by a lot of great um, organizations, um, but it's very siloed and a lot of people don't um, know where to go or, or who to, to access um, in the event of a cyber attack or, or information they need. So, um, for example, we've got the UK Cybersecurity Council doing great work around standards and ethics and career pathways. We've got NCSC that do the technical side. We've got the Cyber Resilience Centres that are geared up towards supporting small businesses and SMEs. We've got the cybersecurity clusters. We've got all the different um, you know, certification bodies like um, ISACA, IC Squared, CompTIA. Uh, we've got CSEC. So I could go on and on. So what Cybersecurity Unity aims to do is to unite the industry and create that sort of overarching, I suppose, directory, but I don't like the word word directory, but that, that sort of one place where um, if you need um, you know, technical assistance, go to the NCSC. If you're a small business and you need support, find your local resilience centre. If you need help with career pathways, get in touch with the council. So it's it's that kind of thing that Cybersecurity Unity is, is, is aiming to, to, to do, to unite the industry 
as the name suggests, to help combat in some small way the growing cyber threat. Now, we're never, ever going to get on top of it, ever. But if as an industry, we can collaborate more and get together and just go, you know, look, what are the key threats? What's going on? What are the new things that are coming up? What are the challenges? And how can we as an industry you know, be better at trying to combat some of those 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 key things? Um, so that's my that that's my journey to date. And I've, I've also done a lot of work around um, bullying and abuse in our industry around mental health and stress and burnout, something that um, is really prevalent um, within cybersecurity and InfoSec, um, supporting women into careers in cyber and supporting those that are neurodiverse into careers in cyber. I myself am neurodivergent, um, diagnosed with autism a few years ago and ADHD this year. So again, that's something else that's really close to my heart. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to start. I mean... <laughs> I was introduced you to by, by a friend of mine, David Cowper, and, and I've done some research, and I tend to do research before we do a podcast, and I, I've I've done some research into you. Sorry, a bit of stalking online, but just kind of background investigation to know what to ask you. And there was so much. I mean, you've got a website. You post a lot on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I love the work you're doing. I, I I very much like to talk about diversity as well and mental health and burnout. So there's a whole element and and loads of things i could talk to you about but i think let's start with cyber geek girl right what where did that come from i mean you i saw it on your website give our listeners a little bit of background on where that kind of came from absolutely so um it was actually something that mike used to call me um and it kind of stuck even even back then um so even after we separated and subsequently divorced, it was just something that I sort of started to become known for. So I was able to sort of hinge, I guess, almost a whole sort of persona or, or, or brand around it, because as you rightly said, it's also the name of my blog. And it's also um, the uh, handle of a lot of my social media accounts um, as, as as well. Um, so it was just you know, so it was something that was said in a little bit of you know, fun by my ex, but it actually sort of stuck. And many, many years later, I'm still known as um, Cyber Geek Girl. <laughs> I, th- I think it's brilliant. I mean, it kind of leads on to, I guess, the the, the women in tech. And, and mm. so obviously me and John talk a lot about diversity and, and really we're two 50-odd-year-old white men. So it's a little bit ironic and I get the irony in talking about it. But I spent my most of my career, I mean, I've been in IT 25 plus years and historically there was no diversity of any any shape or form, right? And everybody was male, similar age, um, because obviously we grew into IT when it was first created, and it was very much seen as a, a male-dominated kind of environment. And I see a lot of value in diversity, whether that be sex, culture, whatever it might be. I see value in it because... If everybody's the same and they're a clone of the same and they've been brought up in the same way, in the same environment, in the same culture, whatever problem they come across, they're more than likely going to try and resolve in the same way. Okay, so I like people that think differently, have come from different backgrounds, whether they're male, female, whatever it might be is irrelevant to me. I like a mix of, of, of people and diversity across my team because I believe it comes with power. But I wonder, cyber is a different place than IT. I mean, security kind of grew out of information technology, grew out of IT. 
But IT definitely, I think even still now is quite male dominated. If you're going into a real technical field, if you're going into, I don't know, networking or whatever it might be. Why do you think it's different in cyber? Why do you think there's so much diversity? Why is it? I mean, I've got my ideas, but I wonder what you think. Um, I think it's it's getting a lot better. But even the report that was released from the UK um, government from this last week, um, talking about diversity in in, in cybersecurity, the percentage of women coming into the industry has actually gone down a oh, fraction wow. in the last year. Now it is a fraction, but the fact remains it's still gone gone down a bit. And um, I'm looking at a lot of the re- the, the potential reasons um, for that now. It could just it could just be that you know, women don't feel as as welcome or as included or or, or so on to, to to come into the industry. And I've actually just written an article for Women in Security magazine in Australia around um, cybersecurity's image problem. And by that, I mean the imagery around it is all very much of you know the the script kiddie you know with his hoodie on huddled over the the computer and the blue and the 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 key the the, the padlocks and the keys and all and, and so on um and i would really look to try and um get away from some of that stereotypical imagery where i've even had um it said to myself that that's actually really off of off putting um and it's there's also been quite a prevalence of um, bullying and abuse within our industry as well, yeah. and that's also been quite off-putting um, to a lot of um, women and people from more diverse backgrounds coming into the industry. I myself have been um, targeted and subjected um, to this, and so I'm absolutely no stranger to it, which is why it's something I talk um, a lot about. Um, and I think we still have a, a long way um, to, to, to go, even in cybersecurity, to attract those diverse teams. Um, that said, there are some organisations that are actually doing really well on the diversity um, front. Um, and I'd like to just um, point out that Asda, believe it, Asda, the supermarket chain, I know um, Leanne Potter that's working within their um, security team, and they've got a very strong um, you know, d- and diverse um, team, and they actively recruit around um, those the, the, those you know, diverse characteristics. So it's, it, it can be done, and it's, it's so, as you say, it's so important that all the voices are at the table and, and represented. Yeah, I mean, I think it's critical because, like I said, you want people – and we'll get onto the mental health and burnout element mm. in a minute, but working in, in IT and working in cyber is hard. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's necessarily any harder than other areas out there. I've never worked really outside of IT and security, so I don't want to belittle any other kind of role or job. Um, but it is particularly hard in cyber. You are in a position where you're under attack all the time yeah. and you're defending or you're proactively attacking back in 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 a way defending and therefore you you hear a lot about burnout and stress and all of those kind of things so for me this is very much a team game if we don't work together we're never going to win against the, the the bad guys and girls the attackers because they are organized they are yeah. very organized they've gone from really being the person hidden away in the kind of bedroom attacking to to being organized that it's nation states it's companies it's ran like a business and 
if we on the good side, I will say, don't get organized and don't work together, then we're going to have problems. And you can't just think in one way. You have to bring all elements of thinking to the table. You have to think outside of the norm. And if you have everybody of the same kind of the same background and the same kind of mold, then you're always going to come up with the same solution. And sometimes you have to be, it's almost like, I don't know if you remember, but um, we used to have a quality street advert on the TV when we were kids and they would throw the quality street up and they would go everywhere. Yeah. And I did that this weekend because I happened to be, I was at a family thing and we did it for me. Quality street is one of those things where everybody likes a different quality street, which is great mm -hmm. because my mum has a preference. I have a preference. Other people in the family have a preference. Nobody questions that it's not all the same. No one questions yeah. that they're all different, but they're still as nice to, to people. And it, it's important to have that. And I definitely struggled in my early career to hire anyone that wasn't really a mirror of me. But as time has progressed, I'm not, it's definitely got easier. I'm still not saying it's where it should be, but it's got easier. Um, but let's pivot a little bit onto kind of mental health and burnout and those kind yeah. of things. So I'm going to ask you like a twofold question. Why do you think that exists in cyber and IT? And do you think that that is a barrier for people entering? I think it's certainly in terms of it existing in cyber and IT, and particularly in cyber, um, you're kind of on call in your role, you know, 24-7. The you know, hackers don't sleep, attacks don't sleep. They are coming at you left, right and centre 24 hours a, a day. And I think that that is what brings um, a lot of tremendous stress um, to many within different security teams. And I've actually got some some stats that that, high, that actually highlight this. So a recent report that came out from um, Teens, um, which was entitled The State of Mental Health in Cybersecurity, um, Stress and Burnout, stated that it's reaching epidemic levels and it's increased exponentially during and since um, the global pandemic. And that nearly one in three security team members experienced tremendous stress, which got markedly worse um, during and since the pandemic. And 27% say that their mental health has declined significantly over the last year. But 51% have been prescribed medication for their mental health. And in addition, 58% are currently taking medication um, for it. And on top of that, 49% are also currently seeing a counsellor or therapist. So it really is um, a huge problem um, within cybersecurity. And I think a lot of people in security teams think they almost have to, to be on all the time as, as well and be at the top of their game to you know, stop and thwart a lot of these um, attacks that are coming, that are coming in. Um, and I've seen and heard of a lot of people that are leaving the industry as a result um, of significant stress and, and burnout. Um, there's a lot of things that organisations could be looking to do to you know, support their, their staff, um, create sort of wellbeing programmes and, and so on. Um, but I, I, I absolutely agree it is at epidemic levels. Um, and I 
certainly and, and I decided to train as a coach and as a mental health first aider to help people that are going through um, significant stress and, and burnout and even if it's just having that ear of somebody to talk to that's completely impartial not part of the organization just somebody they could get on a call to and just vent and go oh do you know what but this happened or you know I've had this to deal with and so on just to talk, just to get it off the, the, the chest is, is just so, it's so important. Um, and that's a big part of, of, of why I did my mental health first aid um, training. And also to be able to help to signpost people as well to more appropriate um, organisations or, or bodies or entities that, that could provide um, further help and support uh, for those going through it is, is so important as well. I, I think one of the things that I've learned throughout my career or, or... I'm learning. I mean, I don't think I'm perfect at it is to kind of see the signs within myself and also yeah. maybe with, within others of, of getting to the point where I need to take a break. I mean, I've, yeah. it's not easy. I mean, many of us work in a role that we really enjoy. I mean, I work in IT and security because I like it, which means it's difficult to switch off because sometimes it's not really, it doesn't feel like a job necessarily because you like doing it. So quite often I'll kind of finish what I would class as my day job and then I'll go off and I'll read IT or security articles. I might do some kind of study and I might pick up a book. So am I really ever switching off? Because it might not be, kind of the nine to five but it's still the same it, it's still when I go on holiday I take books with me about IT and security so it's it's hard but I think over time I've been I've began to kind of know the signs within myself and 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 within others but I think also as I've got older it's harder to run at the yeah. pace I did when I was younger so maybe that maybe that's a twofold thing maybe it's easier to see things because they're more prevalent i get more tired than i would if i was 20 my body aches more than if i was when i was 20 i need to take a step back more but i know that we have a lot of young people entering cyber and when i entered my kind of it field came out of university played games for a little bit um, went into a, a first-line support role where there's no real pressure. I mean, I, I don't mean it to, to be any disrespect, but I was in a, in a, in a first-line support role. I didn't really – like, people would phone up and they had a problem with their mouse or can you put paper in the printer, and it was quite relaxed. Then I got a second-line support role and then a third-line support role. So I slowly kind of grew into IT, and as I grew into it, it did get more and more difficult. I would be – dealing with more difficult problems or I would be dealing with the the board and and real real kind of stuff that was more and more risky towards the business and more important however what I feel that's happening today is people can come straight out of university or even straight out of school and go straight into a penetration testing role or a red team in role or a blue team in role or something that companies are getting compromised and they're having to deal with i mean i was speaking to somebody the other day who was only 19 years old and they were in a role and they loved the role but they were in a role helping people that had been attacked by ransomware and they'd had a call the the, the week before where this person on the, on the end of the phone that had been compromised was in tears very stressful very worried about 
that where the company was going to be and how the company was going to deal with it and, and and all of that so you've got a 19 year old person dealing with that situation whereas i never really dealt with anything that kind of intense until i grew and, and had a background and had the fundamentals and i just wonder if there needs to be more support around entry i mean i don't even want to get into the fact that entry-level jobs aren't really entry-level they're kind of they don't work like that but mm. I, I just wonder what you think how how can i guess the first question is is there a way that people can learn when they need to kind of take a break or back off or things are getting too much because to me that's quite that's like critical step number one you need to know that there's something going on before you can even seek or talk or get help absolutely and that's something i do um, a lot of awareness raising around and yeah for for all um staff employees or all um organizations yeah whether their level age etc is you know know yourself and know that the, the the signs and the things that are there with you that means that you need to just you know take a, a stop and take that really important um break um i'm always doing that i get to every friday i go right how am i doing do i need to sort of take a bit more of a longer break um do i need to make sure i completely switch off this weekend or can i fit in that extra bit of you know training or an article to write or or work and so on and i think the the the, the biggest um analogy that, that i use in communicating this is it's like um putting on your own oxygen mask so you know yourself if you're the, uh, the situation the plane they always say to you get your own oxygen mask on first before you can help others um put their oxygen masks on and it is is so so true so before i can you know help anyone i'm always looking at myself and doing an audit to see how i'm doing because i can't help anybody else unless my own oxygen mask is on first and that's the first bit of advice that i'll i'll give to anyone is you know look at yourself know the signs you know feel when it's creeping in make sure you take those really important breaks because they're going to stand you in much much better stead for you to be more efficient and do a much better job um in the long run yeah i think one of the things that i I know that i've suffered with and people that i've kind of mentored or coached or or been mentored by one of the things we've all suffered with is this feeling of guilt when we're not working and and what i mean by that is it's quite often, certainly in the role that I've been in over the last year or even before that, that I would have to work with a lot of different time zones. So I'd either be working quite early with, say, Asia or quite late with the US. And then I try and give myself a little bit of a break the next day. So I, I may work until, say, 10, 11, 12 at night and then think, OK, I'll start a little bit later tomorrow because I've I put a shift in last night. Or what I'll try and do is I'll instead of starting at eight or nine in the morning and work until nine or 10 o'clock at night, I'll shift my hours a little bit and start at say midday. And, Mm. but I always had this, I had two things, guilt that I should be always available, always online. And also this kind of fear of, are people going to think I'm not working hard? Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, I, I still sometimes have that today. And it's one of those things where, and it's very difficult to quantify, but it's, I know that you, 
that I will get the best out of me, that the company will get the best out of me if I've taken a break, if I've taken a rest. If I try and do five 12-hour days, I'm probably going to achieve less or no more than if I'd have just done five eight-hour days. All you, all it becomes then is presence. You're just there. You're not actually really delivering. Um, but it, it took me until the age that I am now to realize that obviously when i was 20 years old i could put in lots of long days and maybe mm. my batteries recharged a lot quicker they don't recharge as quick anymore i will take some time off and, and my batteries don't recharge at the same rate and also i've realized that and maybe, maybe i've only really really realized this recently that if I've got a very, very busy week and then I have a very, very busy weekend where I'm doing a lot of stuff, I'm then I working in the garden, visiting family, visiting friends, going out for dinner, that is not going to recharge my batteries. In fact, I end up burning the batteries in the week and then burning them on the weekend and starting Monday morning in a worse condition than I should really be because I haven't done it. Yeah. But equally, I don't want to miss out as well. I don't want my weekends to be just doing nothing because i'm recharging my batteries i mean this feels like a bit like a counseling session <laughs> but what would your advice to me be what what or or people in that kind of situation how do you not have that guilt and and get the rest that you should get um i mean for for, for me and what i would say is 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 that learning to prioritize um, self? And you're so right. It's easy to slip into that fear of missing out and cramming so, so much into your weekends in in evenings that um, it it spills out into um into what you do during the the the, the day. Um, so I always try to you know say this. Don't have to feel guilty about making yourself a priority. Um, you are the priority and there's only one of you and if you know, you're not firing on all cylinders or you're not um, working at um, full you know, capacity because you are starting to creep into that bit of a you know, sort of burnt out situation um, it's really important that you look at you know, a, a, a addressing that um, and it's it is difficult because I, I used to be the same I used to you know do all hours and all day and weekends and, and what have you. Um, but now I will just, you know, I will just stop at the weekends. And even if it's just that I'm watching a film or doing a bit of bullet journaling or um, you know, just something else that's absolutely nothing to do with with work or or what I do um, whatsoever, um, just means that I can have that mental break, that I can just um, sort of solidify things that might be going you know, through my head and um, just come up with some different angles or, or solutions for things or so on, you know, quite organically without even really um sort of thinking about it but it is so so important to look after yourself and put your yourself first um and that's before you know work or or, or anything um even you know, one of the things that i that, that i used to um to, to have to do was um look after my 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 parents especially my dad when he was in you know ill, Ill health but that took such a tremendous toll on myself or and my husband that we had to pull back from, from from doing that um and it was it was hard but you know we had to put our own oxygen masks on um we couldn't yeah. be that all thing to, to to all people because the toll it was taking on our mental health was just immense it's it's really difficult because mm. i mean certainly one of the things i found helps me is is exercise so mm. 
like try and go out for a walk every day. I mean, it's not so great living in England. The weather's not always like, on the right side of things. Um, but I always try and, and take an hour, get up, go for a walk, listen to a little bit of music. And I need to do, I can't just walk. And this, because I think about work and I think because mm-hmm. I quite like doing what I do. So it always yeah. comes into my head. So if I listen to music or I listen to a podcast that isn't kind of work related, it gives me that break. And I've certainly over the last two or three years, like really since kind of the middle of the pandemic, decided that I I need to prioritize myself. It, 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 it As much as it may sound a bit selfish, and probably it is, it, it is a priority because like you said, and, and I've never heard the oxygen mask kind of thing before, but you can't help anybody if you're not in the right frame of mind or you don't have the strength or your your mental health isn't okay. And actually, I'm very lucky to have a lot of friends around me that are really good to talk to. And we we quite often kind of put the oxygen mask on each other, but only if we only if we're feeling okay. You can't expend that energy if you if you don't have it. Um Okay, let's let's pivot again. Um, mm. Like I said, I could talk to you all day on these topics. Um, I, I read an article of yours online that, that, that I think it was titled "Is Your Child Safe Online?" Mm. Um, and it struck a, a quite a big thing with me because uh, a lot of my friends um, have got younger children, and the world has has changed. I mean. If you spoke to people about cybersecurity five years ago or ransomware or social engineering and all these things, no one outside of like the environment we work in really would have a clue what we were talking about. Um, but now it's everywhere. I mean, my mum got all kinds of like ransomware emails and malware and, and and children are getting it and you get children being bullied online and and. I've come from an era, an era where mobile phones didn't exist. The internet didn't exist. If I did dumb stuff on a night out or I was at school, I could escape bullying. I was yeah. bullied at school. It wasn't fun. I'm not saying it was fun. But when I got home, I was safe. I was in my house. I was away from that. It still wasn't a great experience, but at least I have a, a, I had a safe place to go. Today, everybody's connected. No matter, almost as soon as you give your child a mobile phone, they are connected. If they don't interact and be present on whatever social media apps the children are using nowadays, that's almost a reason for them to be bullied if they're not available. Mm-hmm. And then if they are, they can't escape that. So I know, I know friends whose children have gone through it and it's really quite frightening for me because you've one of my friends similar age to me had his identity stolen a few years ago to the point where he couldn't fly because his passport basically had been kind of copied and he couldn't get into his office that he was working at and all kinds of stuff. I'm really concerned that that's either already happening with young, young children or it's going to start happening. But I guess I always try and look on the positive side of things that these children or children today are going to be the people fighting the, the the attackers in 10, 15 years. So maybe the only positive I can take from it is at least 
they'll be prepared better. Yeah. And I'm trying to take a positive out of what I feel is quite a negative. Um, but but what are you seeing? Are you seeing a lot of of children getting kind of bullied and social engineered and all of this stuff? And 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 what would your advice be to them and their parents really as well? I can relate um, because I think we're of that sort of similar generation that I could relate to a lot of what you said about I myself was also bullied massively from the moment I went through the school gates. But you're so right. We had that haven that once we were home, we could close the door and that was it. Um, and I dread to think, um, you know, today how they must be feeling with all these different, you know, channels and you know, social media platforms and, and and tools and there's WhatsApp and you know, goodness knows what that you know, this this could all be um, be, be happening on. Um, and I think and it's a real real you know problem um, because again, you're so right. They need to be on these platforms, and if they're not, that could be potentially be a form of sort of bullying in itself. So the peer pressure that they must go through is absolutely immense and of course as well everything is 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 changing you know, the way the world is changing um there's just you know so much more um you know going on and, and that even if they don't know the right word for something or the terminology there could be you know cancelling consequences and so on it's it's just it, it's it's an absolute um you know minefield it, it really is and you know it, it, advice for them and 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 parents and and so on is i think parents do need to keep a tabs on what social media and channels and things that they're they're on and what they're doing um and of course from when they're very little they get given you know a tablet or a phone or something to keep them occupied so they grow up with these things almost as an extension of themselves um i can put my phone to one side for a few hours and it doesn't bother me in the least um, but I'm guessing that some of them will have the the, the phone is literally and the tablets are literally the extensions um, of themselves, and they've known nothing else um, apart from, from from those devices. So it's it's really really difficult to want um, to police for want of a word, and you know make sure that they're not coming across any um, anything that they shouldn't, and, and and so on. And I think that a lot lot more work and awareness raising needs to be done around this this critical area. And that's where the the article um, came from that I had published in um, Global Europa around ensuring that you're you're monitoring what your child's doing and that they're as as, as safe as they that they can be. Yeah, I I think one of the things that I try to remind anyone that's that's got children is like I said, we, we, we could go on a night out. We could do stuff. We weren't monitored all the time. Nobody was taking photos and putting them on social media. Children nowadays, if they, they take photos of each other, they use Snapchat, whatever it is, all these other social media things. And, and that you can never get that back. So that's one area that, Whatever you do as a young person today will be seen by potential employees in the future. Yeah. It will never go away. People can kind of coerce you into being able to get pictures of you that maybe aren't pictures you want to go online and it's all this kind of stuff. And then you've got the ability of children being able to go and see and look at and view loads of stuff that were, were hidden from us as, as children. I mean, it, it, it's, 
it's a really difficult one. And yes, there's parental guides and all that kind of stuff, and you can block certain things, but I, I, I can see people walking past my house every morning on the way from school or on the way back from school. And you see children of the age of like 9, 10, 11 with phones. Now, like you've said yourself, a lot of these children, even younger than that, are given tablets to kind of keep them entertained. Um, but I certainly know and I've seen children ended up on YouTube watching stuff that you don't really want a child to watch. And that's not any blame against YouTube. I want to make that clear. Um, but it's really difficult. It, it, it's IT and security has moved so fast. I mean, our environments always move so fast that quite often the same with everything in, in kind of humanity. Things come out and we use them for the positive technology is used for positive and then someone comes up with a clever way of doing something maybe negative or using that technology to do something n not for good um and we don't always think of that and i'm not to say we shouldn't kind of continue down that development and come up with new technologies but it it, it just frightens me i'm 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 hoping that they teach children more in schools i'm mm. hoping they start quite young and they start to educate children about the threats and and it's very hard because technology can be used for very very powerful good but you also need to be careful so you don't want to frighten people about it but you certainly i think i mean i had a computer when i was young but not until i was like 18 19 when i went to university and, and before that my friends had a zx spectrum and we played games on it on tapes there was no internet we couldn't just go and do whatever now if you're a child and you're in your bedroom, you've got a tablet or a phone, the stuff you can look up or or get shared or get given on social media is, is frightening. Um, okay, one more question before we kind of pivot to the fun stuff. I know you're mm -hmm. doing some kind of in-person events coming up soon. Mm -hmm. um, do you like doing in-person yeah. events? How do you feel that those have kind of... The pandemic came along and we did a lot of this. We did a lot of talking online. Yeah. We did a lot of zoom and teams and all of that stuff do you see power in in-person events i can talk about my experience as somebody that's uh, neurodivergent with autism and adhd i don't mind the in-person events and i do enjoy doing them but i do have to factor in time after each one just to decompress and just to I guess sort of get over there so I mean for example I went to InfoSec um, for the first time this year since before the pandemic at Excel and I made sure that I blocked out the rest of the week just to recover from all the noise and yeah. the um, you, you know the overload and all the different you know things and people sort of you know stopping me as I walked around and so on which was which was great and which was the whole point of it was to go and see as many people and talk to as many people within the industry um, as possible that I hadn't seen for a long time and some that I'd never met in person I'd only know got to know during the pandemic yeah. when we are talking like this never uh, met them in person until I was at um, InfoSec earlier this year so I still think there's a lot of value in them and I still enjoy doing a lot of the um the, the in-person events. But honestly, I, I like the mix. So I love you know the, the way that we're doing it now. And I also love the um the the face-to-face -face, um as, as as well. And for me, it just it, it just gives me that bit more, I guess, choice. And if if um there was an event that um the Cyber Wales cluster held 
a couple of weeks ago um, that they did as a hybrid event. So they had yeah. a virtual joining and an in-person and getting to Cardiff is a good couple of hours or so from from me. So it's not the easiest journey to make, but it meant that I could still join and still participate um, from the hybrid um, perspective. So I really do um, w- w- would like to put a, a kind of almost a, a plea out to um, to event organisers to try and um, get the hybrid aspect of it yeah. as, as far as possible as, as as well, because I think you'll generate a lot more um, audience um, that way. And of course, you've got things like the train strikes and stuff like that. I mean, I drive, but I hate driving in London on Birmingham, Manchester, yeah. where a lot of these things take place. So the train's the next option. And nine times out of 10, the trains are on strike. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, it, it's it, it, having that, that sort of virtual um, option really does make life a lot easier at the moment. <laughs> I, I think the key thing you said was right at the start was blocking out time kind yeah. of recovery, that putting your own oxygen mask on and giving yourself yeah. that. Because these kind of, whether they're face-to-face or even virtual events can take a lot out of you. I mean, I enjoy doing these podcast things, but there's the prep, there's kind of, I mean, I love it, but it's still tiring. Mm. And doing in-person events are even more tiring because I I was also at InfoSec and I went because I wanted to see people that I'd never met face-to-face and also catch up with some people I had. But it's hard. There's a lot of walking, there's a lot of, kind of you eat at different times and you you meet different people and there's the kind of anxiety and the stress and all of those other things so i think putting that oxygen mask on is is a is a key learn um okay fun stuff because we're running out of time it's been great speaking to you um i always talk about food one of one of my hobbies is eating okay um so what has been your best ever food experience and it doesn't necessarily have to mean the food was brilliant but it could be you were with people that you love being with or an environment or whatever. What was your best food experience? Um, And I'm not just saying this because I come from Italian heritage, but I love the food in Italy. I just, I could eat um, pasta and pizza and gelato and things like that. And Prosecco, I'll have a weekly glass of Prosecco. I just love it. Um, and I'm not I say I'm not just saying this at all because of my Italian heritage, but what I love as well is it's it's like an event. So everybody gets together over food and you, know, you catch up and you talk and you you share. And um so yeah, for, for me, um the whole I guess Italian experience of of of, of food. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna ask you a question that John would yeah. hate me asking you. Should mm. you put pineapple on pizza? No. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you're in the no camp because John Absolutely is very not. much in the yes camp um, and I'm very much in the no camp and there doesn't seem to be much in between. Um, but one final question then before we kind of close. Yeah. I've spent quite a lot of time in Italy. I mm-hmm. love Italy. I've spent a lot of time in Rome, Milan. I did Puglia last year. Um, I've done Tuscany and Florence and all of that stuff. Where is your favourite place that you've been to in Italy? And where would you go to if you could again or or that you've never been in Italy that you'd like to go to? Um, I've been pretty I've been a lot of places like yourself in, in, in Italy as, as well. But for me, the place that I will always gravitate to is where my um, family origins, were, which is in Calabria. 
um, in the mountains, but then 20 minutes away, you've got the beach, and then just a bit further down, you've got Casenza, which is the next sort of big city. But then two hours or so down from where my family originated from, you get on the ferry at Reggio Calabria and you go across to Sicily. So I just love that it's just kind of you know, all there. And it's it's a bit like almost time sort of stood still. So it's all very rural and um, a lot of the technology hasn't really made its way, you know, down there. So you can switch off there um, quite, quite nicely. So um, that's certainly the area of Italy that I always gravitate to and, and love going back to. Yeah, see, I, I want to go back, and we were talking about going to Cinque de Terre. I mm -hmm. think I probably pronounced that really badly, um, but also to Venice. So I was thinking of going in, doing like the West Coast, and then going over and doing Venice and then coming home. But I, I love it. I love the food. I love the people. It's very different from the north to the south. I mean, oh, yes. we did uh, Amalfi Coast, Sorrento. Mm -hmm. I've been to Matera and all of those areas in Bari and Ostuni mm -hmm. and I love it. I, I, so I, I definitely think I'd like to go back. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's wrap up. I, I, I've had a great time talking to you. I always know it's like you, people are a great guest. When I look down at the clock and I'm like, wow, we've done 45 minutes and it's just gone past like mad. So I'd love to have you back on when John can be available. But mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. I think you've got some great insights. Um, I will tag your website when when we publish. I, I You've got some fantastic articles and some really kind of human factor stuff. We mm -hmm. work in an environment and everyone assumes it's tech, tech, tech. Everyone mm -hmm. I talk to assumes I work with technology, technology, technology. And yes, that's part of the reasons why I do what I do because I love technology. But also there's a very much a human factor, right? And we shouldn't forget that. And I think maybe... We haven't been great at talking about it. The pandemic came along. Everyone got really, really busy. And maybe we've forgotten a little bit about the human element. But for me, it's critical. And I'm glad you come on. And I'm glad you talked about it. It's been fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jay. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.